Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Romans 7.14 is the part of the Bible I refer to as what I call the do-do chapter. The very things I don't want to do, I do do. The ones I do want to do, I don't do. Spiritually, it's a quagmire that I think every person at some point in their life's journey is going to run into this problem. And so I'm grateful for the words what Paul shares. They're freeing words. Let me read it to you. It says here in Romans 7, 14, he says, For we know the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold in the bondage of sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do but I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. You know, the law pointed out all the sin. And Paul's like, when I do that stuff the law says I shouldn't do, you know, when God's law says, thou shall not covet. Paul said it produced in him every kind of coveting. As soon as you said, don't do it, he realized inside of him there was something wired in him that wanted to do what he was told not to do. Now, none of you ever do that. As soon as someone says, don't do it, what do we do? Challenge accepted. And Paul says, this is what he discovered, that the law, it's good. But where's the problem? Inside him, he said, inside us. He said, I found out that there's this thing inside me wants to do the wrong thing. So then he said, verse 17, now listen to this part. So then, no longer am I the one doing it, but he said, but it is the sin which dwells in me. As far as me knowing I sinned, I knew that I sinned. That was never a problem. It's what do I do about it? What do I do about it? And so Paul says, I discovered that the law, when it said don't do it, something inside me wanted to break the law. And he identifies what it is. He says, it's sin. In counseling, counselors will tell people, look, we can't help you until you're willing to first accept or confess that you have a problem. First step of dealing with someone in counseling is, look, you have to basically own it. If you're addicted to alcohol, you just got to call it like it is. I'm addicted to alcohol. If you're not willing to say that, what's the counselor do? Sorry, I can't help you. We can't move forward until we're willing to own the problem. Does Paul own his problem right here? Does he say, I found out inside me, there is what present? Sin. He didn't go, yeah, there's sin in all those other people, not me. That's like those holier-than-thou people you see running around in some church circles. I call them the pharisaical Christians. They're like the Pharisees of the days of Jesus, but they're in Christianity today. And they're always pointing out other sin. God, I thank thee that I am not like that sinner over there. Remember the guy that stood up, Jesus said, on the corner of the temple? I thank thee that I am not like that sinner. There was a man, it says, that was face down, throwing the dust of the earth over his head, saying, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I'm lower than the dirt. He humbled himself, prostate, at the other corner of the temple. And Jesus told this story. The Pharisee, he stood up there going, I tithe of everything that I get. I honor you, I obey, I do everything. I'm not like that one. And what was Jesus' answer to them? He said, which one of those two went home justified? 
in the sight of God. See, in God's sight, the guy who was humble and said, God, forgive me. I'm just a sinner. God says, I can work with that. But the guy who says, I don't have any problems. I'm perfect. You got a lot of problems. First of all, you're a liar. And that's just to start. We can work down from there. But you're deceived. Because we all have this. And I'm so glad Paul said it. He said, look, inside me there's sin. I got a problem. Listen to this. He says in verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is, in my flesh. Talking about his fleshly, carnal nature. He says, there's nothing good about it. What does the flesh always look after? Itself. It's very, very selfish. It's all me, 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 I, 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 all about me. That's all flesh does. Paul says, I know there's nothing good dwelling in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. This is a big problem. One that I think a lot of people face. I know I do. He says, for the good that I want to do, I do not do, verse 19, but I practice the very evil that I don't want to do. He says, but if I am doing the very thing I do not want, then he said, I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin that dwells in me. What is the real problem? He said, it's sin. Can anyone identify with what he's saying? That even though you want to do good, there's that old evil nature that rears its ugly head sometimes. Only when you're overtired, a little bit low blood sugared, Everyone's pressing on you, asking for something, and you kind of start to snap a little. But what is it, that part that comes out? Where does that come from? Why do we get like that? Because we still have that sin to deal with. And Paul, listen to this, verse 22, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the member of my body. It wages war against the law of my mind. And it makes me prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. I still got this sin present in my members. It's a struggle. He said, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of sin and death? Has anyone ever felt like that? Oh God, would you just set me free from this sinful body? If I didn't have this sinful body, I wouldn't have so much trouble with sin, right? Some of our Biggest problems come from this carnal part of our being. And Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am. But then he says, verse 25, thanks be to God that through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind, I am serving the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Now, some people go, well, you sound bipolar, Paul. On one side, you serve God. On one side, you don't. No, he's just identifying the problem. This sinful, wretched flesh that has sin DNA imprinted in it, we have to learn to live a life after a different pursuit, after a different manner. Chapter 8, verse 1 reads, There is therefore now how much condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. None. Zero. See, he's identified the problem and the devil would say, well, see, you have sin. The Bible says in Revelation, the devil goes before God and he accuses the brethren day and night saying, did you see Izzy? He's a sinner. 
And every time the devil accuses me before God, do you know what Jesus does? Well, God, the father is the judge. And Jesus, it tells us in Hebrews, he is our advocate before the father. Advocate means like a defense attorney. You know, Jesus stands up, goes objection. Now Satan's got me. He's going, he's a sinner. And Jesus goes, objection. He says, I died for that. Already been paid for. And the father says, overruled, throw it out. Next. And then he goes, well, but did you see Dave? And Jesus stands up again, objection. Paid for that sin too. And every sin we committed, Christ paid for, didn't he? Says he took on all the sins of the world on himself. And he became what John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He came to take us away. We're sitting there going, but I still got it. And the devil wants to condemn us over it. And Paul knew this. By this point, when he wrote the book of Romans, he had been pastoring for quite a while. And I think when you pastor, there's these reoccurring themes that pop up. Do Christians that have been in Christ for over a decade, do they still have this problem? Do we still have our flesh still trying to say, come on, eat the cake? And the spirit going, no, I don't want to. With my mind, I know I shouldn't. Yes. And I'm really grateful for Paul that he does not minimize this and does not exclude it. Because I would think I'm the only one messed up. I'm the only one that still struggles. And I mean, I've been in Christ over 30 years. And the enemy would love to come along and say, you know, you should probably not call yourself a Christian. If you still struggle with that stuff after all this time, I mean, really, what kind of Christian are you? Maybe you should, should just quit. Do everyone a favor. Just quit that Jesus stuff. Just go eat the cake. You know what the problem is? Sometimes when we're spiritually feeling a little weak, we fall for his stupid logic. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't go to church anymore. They probably don't want me there. I've blown it a few times. Listen, I got news for you. Everyone here has blown it. This is not welcome to the holiness club. This is welcome to the sinners club. By definition, to go to church, you have to be a sinner. It's like kind of should be over the door. Sinners welcome. Spiritual hospital for sinners. This is where the sick come. Really, that's what we are. It's a spiritual hospital. To go to Jesus, the doctor of our soul, to get well. Well, Paul knew it. Paul was like, wretched man that I am. I think today, Paul, if he was preaching, there'd be a lot of people going, he's not really in the politically correct, positive mindset, thinking circle. He's not going to make it with some of the real good guys. They'd be like, he's a jerk. He says he's a sinner. He's a wretched man. He actually knows the struggle. He knows the struggle is real. And he knows some things that we need to know. Listen, you might have friends that don't know what it says in chapter 8, verse 1. That there is therefore now, for those that are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. God knew that you have sin. God already took care of the problem. This way you shouldn't break chapter 7 and chapter 8. You should just go right on into the next thought because the next thought is so freeing. Listen to what he says. Verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is a, a different law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. There's a newness of life that Christ came to give us. And he says that law sets us free from the law, the previous law 
of sin and death. He said, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. And he condemned sin in the flesh. See, there's no condemnation for my sin because all of the sin was condemned by God when it was placed on Jesus. He paid the full price. It has been completely paid. Remember the last words of Christ on the cross before he gave up his spirit? He's hanging there. He said three words. It is finished. He was saying, I've done it. I have paid the price in full. And Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law. He said, I came to fulfill it. You know, the requirement of the law was if there was sin, it had to be paid for. And the wages of sin was death. And it says the life was in the blood. So to pay for sin, this death, you had to pay with blood. Blood had to be shed. That's why we sing all those hymns about the blood of the lamb, you know, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. See, what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. His blood was shed. That was the requirement of the law. He paid it. Done. Paid for. And now we have been invited to come follow him. And we get to serve now in a newness. A new law. This law is called the law of the spirit of life. I love that. This is pretty good. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Remember Jesus, when he was on earth, he told his disciples, a new commandment I give you. He didn't say, we need to pull out the old commands and let's follow them. No, he said, a new commandment I give you. My commandment is that you love one another. He just kept telling them, you got to love one another. And Jesus had no trouble with saying, I get to set up a new law, a new commandment for you to follow because I fulfilled the old one. It's done. Once it was done, it was completed. But that didn't mean that we didn't need a little instruction, a little guidance, a little something to live for. So he says, okay, I'll give you a new command. This is my commandment that ye love one another. And what will happen? That your joy will be full. You can tell people that don't, I hate to say it, but there are some sourpuss Christians out there. And you're like, hey, what's the matter with you? And nothing's wrong with me. And you're like, uh, your joy meter is kind of low, like by the minus numbers. And I don't have any problem. And that person, blah, 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 blah. And you know, the Bible says just love them. Love one another. That your joy would be full. That's Jesus' word. Listen to this. We get to walk in a new law. The law of the spirit of life. Now, I want you to highlight that because when you get approached by these folks that are under the old law, you need to tell them, listen, it's not that you live your Christian experience without a law, without God's direction. Because as soon as you say, I'm not under the law, they're like, you're one of those lawless Christians. Say, no, man, I'm under the new law. You really do need a good answer. And this is the best answer I can give you to tell those folks is that we live under a new law. A law that was instituted by our Lord. And he said, this is his command. That we love one another. And we can read about the law right here. It's called the law of the spirit. And it's called the spirit of life. I'm under a new law. The law of the spirit of life. And they'll be like, where's that? Romans chapter 8. 
refers to. Because some people don't know this is in the Bible, that there is a new law. Some of you are like, I read this a long time ago. But some of you read right over this and didn't even spot it. That there is the law of the spirit of life. This is of life in Christ Jesus. We get to be invited, ushered in to a newness of life. Does this give us joy when we walk in this law? This law of the spirit of life? Now he says, the law, what it could not do, we read this verse 3, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin, and he condemns sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh. By the way, the only way you're ever going to overcome your flesh is to learn to walk on according to the Spirit. The flesh is too powerful to be one on the playing field of the flesh. You know, some people are like, I'm not going to do this. And then I'm like, just give it some time. If you live long enough to figure this out, the flesh just can't win against the flesh. But what about when you walk by the Spirit? If you walk by the Spirit, can you overcome the flesh? Yes. See, this is what Paul is leading to. As we read on here, he says, For those who are according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those that are according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. You know, one of the sweetest things about setting your mind on things of God's Spirit is it brings life and it brings peace. A peace that there's not really words to describe. Have any of you been having a bad trial and you're struggling with it? And God said, hey, wait, quit looking at the trial. Look at me. Pay attention. Or you're like so consumed with the trial and you jump in your car, you're racing around, you got to go pick the kids up from school. And the radio happens to come on and it's one of those songs. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful faith. And you weren't even thinking about it. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. All of a sudden, your attention gets shifted back heavenward. And the stuff that was really distracting you gets put back in perspective. Paul is, man, he's got it down. He's boiled it down. He's probably had to sit with a bunch of people who... They've lost their peace. There's no joy in them. And they're just all, and he's like, "Um, so what you been thinking about? I've been thinking about that person screwed me and I'm going to get them back and revenge. And their peace is gone. And you go, well, wait a minute. Doesn't it say vengeance is mine, says the Lord? What does the Lord say? I will repay. He doesn't say you go repay. God, you want to try to do all the vengeance? We could help. We're trained in this, right? And the Lord had to speak to me and say, that's not your department. Because every time I plot my own vengeance, I can tell you what happens on the inside. My peace goes away. The peace of God's spirit, you know, that peace that really is like, oh, man. It goes out the window. And when I get consumed with thinking about the things of the flesh, how I'm going to get them back, what am I going to do? Those sweet things of the spirit, they just, they're gone. 
the one advantage I think you get as you spend years and years of following the Lord is you start to get a little experience with this. Hopefully, as time goes on, you're quicker to say, I don't like not having the peace. So I'm going to repent of my flesh and go back to walking after that spirit of life. Yeah, I'm going to go back to that. Because as soon as I go back to what would Jesus do? In the law of the spirit of life, I'm going to follow what he would do. What would he do? Would he take his own vengeance? Nope. Even when they smote him on the face, they beat him. They pounded those crown of thorns. Did he fight back? No. All right, I'm just do what you want me to do. And it's funny because every time I go back to surrendering what he would want me to do, what happens to my peace? Every comes back. David, when he was in sin, he's like, oh, God, created me a clean heart, renew a right spirit, and cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me and restore unto me the joy, he said, of myself. His joy went away. You know, one of the things that I see happening to a lot of folks is their joy and their peace is being robbed. They're being sucked into, well, this is one of the things I've run into these guys that, that practice that seventh day worship on the Sabbath, Saturday, and they're very legalistic about it. They lose their joy. They lose their peace. Oh yeah, they're doing the law, but they don't have any joy about it. And like, that's the old law. You know, whenever you try to fulfill the old law, there's no joy because it was very specific. You blow it, you got to pay. In the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, is there joy? Is there peace? Is there condemnation for your sin? None. Talk about something to make us rejoice. Man, we can really jump for joy. God looks at me and says, I don't condemn you for anything. Now, if you don't know that, there are some people that don't know that that's what Christ has offered. Complete forgiveness of our sins. He will never look at you and go, I forgive you for almost all of them, but that one was really bad. No. He goes, you're forgiven. Done. Would you like your sins forgiven? Now, if you've never asked God, give me that gift. If you've never received Christ into your heart, I want to extend the invitation to you that you could. It's a free gift. It's the most glorious gift there is. If you don't know how to do it, just pray with me. It's very simple. All you have to do is go to God and say, God, I'm a sinner. Something like this. Dear Lord, I'm a sinner. I confess my sin to you and I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And I ask you to have Jesus come into my life. Come into my heart and dwell with me. That I can have your gift of salvation. Grant that to me this day. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.